1 Kings 22, verse 1. For three years there was no war between Aram and Israel. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to see the king of Israel. The king of Israel had said to his officials, Don't you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And yet we are doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram. So he asked Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, First, seek the counsel of the Lord. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, Shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here, whom we may inquire of? The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. The king should not say that, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, at once. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of, Israel, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria, with all the prophets prophesying before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Kana'ah, made iron horns, and he declared, This is what the Lord says. With these you will gore the Aramans until they are destroyed. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, Look, as one man the other prophets are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. When he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? Attack and be victorious, he answered, for the Lord will give it into, into the king's hand. The king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd, and the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the hosts of heaven standing round, around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means? The Lord asked. I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. 
So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. Which way did the spirit of the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you? He asked. Micaiah replied, you will find out on the day you go to hide in an inner room. The king of Israel then ordered, take Micaiah and send him back to Ammon, ruler, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, mark my words, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Uh, skip down just a few verses, down to verse 34. But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long, the battle raged and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot and that evening he died. As the sun was setting, a cry spread throughout the army, every man to his town, everyone to his land. Here ends our reading. Uh, there's a response of thankfulness that's printed for you in your, in your bulletins. The word of the Lord. Thanks indeed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words about uh, Ahab and Micaiah and Jehoshaphat and the armies of Israel and Judah. And thank you for how they speak about your son, Jesus, and his salvation of us and how they speak about our duty to you, our, our, how we are to live our lives. We pray, Father, that you, by your spirit, would give us understanding of this as we look at this text that you've inspired, that you would uh, grant to us hearts to repent and, and believe that you would make our eyes wide open and our, our ears hearing. Help us to see your son, Jesus. Help us to see how we are to live. Help us to see our world and our presence in this dark world as we look at this text and cause our hearts to rejoice at your goodness to us in your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I, I mentioned in Sunday school, actually, this morning, I didn't meant to, mean to mention it in Sunday school, but I, I, I did, that uh, I hate movies where you feel lost. Um, so uh, I'm not, don't, don't crucify me. I'm not a big fan of the Tolkien stuff. Sorry. Um, I just, I don't like, I just don't like fantasy. I, I don't. Um, but I, but I watched them because everyone was watching these movies, but I especially don't like the middle one, Fellowship of the Ring, right? The Two Towers, see? <laughs> I, I, I don't like the Two Towers because at least in the Fellowship of the Ring, the first one, um, I almost said Glodo, Frodo is, <laughs> Glodo is a professor of mine, Frodo's at home in the Shire. And at the end, he's to his final destination in the third one, right? Uh, Return of the King. And so I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm a little bit anchored in those. 
But in the middle one, they're lost and they're not certain where they are and if they're going to get there. And at the end of the middle one, they're still lost and still not certain if they're going to get there. And so it's two and a half or three hours of being lost. <laughs> and, and maybe it goes back to, you know, some, you know, primal whatever in me of being lost in the store, not being able to see my mom in the toy store at some time, you know, at the, at the mall and, and wondering if, you know, I was going to, you know, be abandoned or something, not that my mom would abandon me, but that she couldn't find me and I couldn't find her. And, and you know, it was my fault because my mom was good. That was true. My mom was good. So it would have been my fault. So all kinds of fears and anxiety and that kind of thing. And so I don't like the idea of being um, lost or feeling worried or, or uncertain. Or, or, or unsafe. Um, uh, but in this world, we have a great advantage as Christian people. We don't have to feel worried or uncertain or unsafe. That's good news because of who Jesus is. Um, he makes us that, not those things. Uh, but if you're out in the world, that's not the case. And you have to cover up and look to other things which are, are fleeting and temporary and, and disappear and grasp out of your uh, or, or, or slide out of your hands and out of your out of your grip. Uh, if you like to fill out blanks in an outline, you can you can start here. If you want to just listen, that's fine, too. But it's this, it's most common. That's your blank. It's most common for people outside the church to experience defeat and a sense of feeling scattered. Now, in the Bible, the word scattered is a real technical term, especially in the Old Testament, but the New Testament, I think, uses it as well. It's about being defeated in battle and being scattered and not knowing where your, your comrades are, your, 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 uh, the others in your, in your uh, uh, troop. And, and you're out alone and you're off in the woods like uh, um, whoever the main character is in, in Red Badge of Courage. You know, he's, he's run from the battle and he's out in the woods and... He, he, he's not connected with anybody. He doesn't know if the next person he's going to see is from, from the other side or, or one of his own, and he's going to be found out as a deserter uh, of the army during battle. Um, but that's, that's the idea of being scattered. And when you see that term in the Psalms or, or wherever, the Law of Moses or, or here, um, it, it's the idea that you've lost in battle and you've been scattered you've run you've you know the other army has chased you away and you're all just frantically running away but non-believers people outside the church experience defeat a sense of feeling scattered and a sense of feeling without clear direction a sense of not having clear direction a lack of confidence in how one should act a lack of confidence into what my life should be about. This is the reality for non-believers. Um, and, and if you act in a way that you think is the right way and then things don't go as you expected, what does that mean? There's insecurity in that. A sense of being lost. Did I do the right thing, but then there was just the wrong response? Or did I do the wrong thing and that's why I have the wrong response? And there's no, there's no standard to declare whether one is right or wrong, just opinions of people. And so you've heard it drives me crazy. Betsy's on these moms groups and various things on Facebook and, and such. And today, because our culture has left 
even the principals of this book, they don't know how to treat their kids, what to do with their kids, how to lead their kids, what to tell their kids is important because they don't know themselves. And we're in a generation now where the parents were led by mostly by parents who didn't know that either. And so at one point, a few years back, it was the, the case where, you know, like my dad who had strong believing parents, but he wasn't a, a believer until he was 45. He, he lived off the, the scraps of faith of his parents. And so he taught us in the ways of the Lord without intending us to, intending to teach us in the ways of the Lord, because that's just how he was raised. You tell the truth, you do what you're told, you, you respect your authorities, you work hard. Those were things that my dad taught us, even though he wasn't a believer, um, because that was, those were things coming from his, his mom and dad who were devout believers in the Lord. But, but today that's not the case. There's a real sense, and, and perhaps you see it as you talk to your neighbors or, or coworkers, all kinds of ideas about how to live life and, and who to be what to be like, what to value. Um, and so as we look at this passage, uh, first thing we can say here that we see um, that directs us along these lines uh, as we look at Ahab's life here is number one, don't hate the truth of God's word. Okay, this is one of those points that I put down and I say, okay, I know, duh. <laughs> don't hate the truth of God's word. And nobody in the church and even non-believers who aren't foaming at the mouth atheists would say, oh, I don't hate God's word. Some of them who aren't believers would say that. No one in the church would say, I hate God's uh, word. Um, but um, can you advance one, one slide here? Um, just to explain where we, where we are. Um, so here's what, oh, that was two. Go back one. Okay, hopefully, yeah, there we go. Um, so here's what's going on here. Just to explain this in this, in this passage a little bit before we uh, get into this. So uh, Jehoshaphat's down here in Jerusalem, and he's king of Judah. Um, this is basically all this area of Judah, south, plus Benjamin. That's, that's considered uh, uh, Judah. And then um, uh, uh, Ahab is, is king of Israel, northern Israel. And the capital city is in Samaria, which you see is in the, the tribal land of Manasseh. It's up north, and it contains all this land, Dan, Ephraim, Manasseh, all the other ten tribes, all the stuff that's the Jordan River, all the stuff that's, that's west of the Jordan River, or east of the Jordan River here. And so um, Jehoshaphat goes, notice it says he goes down, it's because Jerusalem's a city on a hill. <laughs> so when you leave Jerusalem, you always go down to some place, even though he's going up on the map <laughs> to get to Samaria. But he goes down uh, to Samaria and he visits Ahab up in Samaria. And, and the problem is that there's this city, Ramoth Gilead. Gilead was all the area on the east coast of the Jordan River. That was Gilead. So you read about Gilead a lot in the Old Testament. Gilead, it's a land just east of the Jordan River. And Gilead belonged, as you see there, to Gad and a little bit to Reuben there. Because this is, there's the Dead Sea, there's the Jordan River. Okay, so this is all the land of Gilead, including this land over here, Ramoth, Gilead. There were other Ramoths, but Ramoth that was in Gilead. And so this was territory that belonged to Israel. It was part of the promised land, but it was occupied by Moab, the king of Moab, who we've seen here, Ben-Hadad, um, who's been troubling Ahab throughout his, his kingship. And so um, for whatever reason, 
maybe he's a little bit uh, scared. Ahab hasn't gone to reclaim Ramoth Gilead from the Moabites, even though it's rightfully uh, the, the land of God's people. And they had occupied it from the days when Moses was still alive, when they conquered the land east of the Jordan. And so he asks, um, he asks Jehoshaphat if Jehoshaphat will go with him to conquer uh, Ramoth, Ramoth Gilead. A couple other things I'll just mention here, little rabbit trails for you. So um, God uses sarcasm. Okay, so if you've ever had people say, don't be sarcastic, that's sin. It's sin if you're tearing someone down with it. But God is sarcastic and his prophets are sarcastic. I've got a whole, if you're interested in it, I've got a whole set of about 60 verses. I just, as I read through the Bible, I say, this is God being sarcastic to his people. Um, it's when sar sarcasm is, is when somebody is being ridiculous and not dealing with the facts and you're slapping them in the face saying, wake up, you're destroying yourself. It's when God says, for instance, through the prophets, oh, you're in trouble. Well, go ask those gods that you're worshiping. See if they help you. God literally says this to his people. That's sarcasm. God knows those gods won't help him because he's just declared that they're gods of wood and stone and they can't hear and they can't see and they can't help. Um, but Micaiah responds sarcastically here. You see his first response, you know, there um, in verse uh, da, 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 uh, 15. Look there. This is God's prophet. Here's something else to understand. So I'm backing up a little bit. Um, you know, I've taught you in the past, L-O-R-D in all caps is Yahweh, which in old, the old King James got translated Jehovah. But we all know from Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones that there is no J in Hebrew. But we thought there was a J in Hebrew, so we said Jehovah, but it was really a Y, not a J at the beginning of that word. <coughs> Yahweh and Jehovah are the same Hebrew word. It's just early English translators didn't understand the Y was not a J, that kind of thing. It's, there's a crossover between that, and we see that in, um, for instance, uh, Spanish, that kind of thing, where there's a YJ kind of thing going on. But, but uh, uh, you notice there that uh, what, what is being asked here in chapter 22, early on, um, verse 5, look there, Jehoshaphat says, sure, I'll go with you. We're all one people. We're all descendants of Jacob. I'll help you out to regain this part of the promised land. That would be a good thing. But then he says in verse 5, Jehoshaphat does, first seek the counsel of the Lord, all caps, Yahweh. This was Israel's God, Yahweh. This is Jesus, Holy Spirit, and Father, Yahweh. Um, but then um, the prophets come along, and they're not prophets of Yahweh. They're wicked prophets. We know that the prophets in the north were prophets of Baal. And they're prophets who are on the king's payroll. Okay, That was a common thing in the ancient world, that a prophet would be on the king's payroll. And so all these prophets that come to prophesy before Ahab are on the king's payroll. And guess what? When you're on the king's payroll, what do you say to the king? Everything's great. <laughs> okay, and so these prophets come... And they say, look at verse 6, So the king brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, Shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And the prophets, Micaiah is not present yet, they answered, Go, for the Lord will give it 
Lord, not all caps. Okay, this is the same word that we use when we say, yes, my Lord. <laughs> okay, this means uh, master. This is what Abraham is called, Lord. It can mean God, because God is Lord over us. He's our master. He's the one we follow. He's our authority. But L-O-R-D, which is not in all caps, can mean a person who's your authority, or it can mean God himself. But if you're in all caps, you're talking about Yahweh, Jehovah, Israel's God, the God who made the heavens and the earth, you know, God who causes the, the, the hosts, the troops to be and fights for his people. That's L-O-R-D in all caps. And these prophets return this verdict, the Lord, whoever they meant, not speaking of Yahweh, will give it into the Lord's hand. Notice Jeho Je Jehoshaphat's response in verse 7. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there not a prophet of the Lord? I wish English translations would just say Yahweh instead of L-O-R-D in all caps, because that's very confusing. But if you see that, if you recognize that, you see what's going on. Because the prophets say, you know, the, the, the Baal will bring us victory. Go ahead. And Jehoshaphat says, I don't care what Baal says or what the prophets of Baal say that Baal says. Don't you have a prophet of Yahweh? David, before he went to battle, he always asked. He always inquired of the Lord, shall I go into battle? And sometimes God did those cool things like in Second uh, uh, Samuel 6 where he says, um, uh, circle around them and wait till you hear the wind blow through the balsam trees. Then you'll know I've sent out my army, my heavenly army, the host of heaven, and fought the battle for you. And then you'll have victory. And so Jehoshaphat's doing the right thing. He's Jehoshaphat's the son of David. He's descended from David. And let's ask the Lord if we should go out or not. Um, so that's going on, that's going on um, as well uh, there. And so they're they're discussing whether to go into battle or not, and all that's all that's happening there. So that's a little bit of background for you. You can leave leave that up there, Andrew. That's fine. Um, but don't hate God's truth or the truth of God's word. So now, understand this statement. Ahab hates the truth of God's word, doesn't he? He says, "Well, there is one prophet of God." There is one prophet of Yahweh, the one true God who made heavens and the heavens and the earth. But I hate him. You know, it's like uh, Gru, right? Oh, I hate that guy. And, and uh, the first despicable, despicable and despicable me. Yeah, great line. Oh, he's got this arch enemy and he finally he sees him like the fourth guy. He's like, oh, I hate that guy. And uh, that's that's what uh, Jeho or that's what Ahab says. I hate this guy. He never, pre he never declares anything good will happen to me, only bad. So I don't want to hear from him for him to declare bad disasters going to happen uh, to me. Um, and we can be like that too in our lives. Um, sometimes we say, you know, well, I prayed about it and I feel good about it. Have you considered what God's word says on this subject? Well, no, but I've prayed about it. That's hating God's word. Okay, don't give me that crap about you prayed about it. So sick of that. So tired of people ruining their lives, declaring that they have God's approval on the sinful action. 
declared sinful that th by this book that they're about to do and destroy their lives and the people around them for their own selfish desires. Okay, that's Pastor John there talking. Um, so don't hate God's word for your own sake and for the sake of people you love. Deal with God's word. And here's your, your two old things here, A and B. Even when it rebukes you, have some courage. Do good for your life. Don't say, well, I, I want to get in shape, but I'm not going to do any running. I, I want to be healthy, but I'm going to eat pork rinds. Come on. You know, it's okay if you don't want to be healthy. That's, that's fine. You know, there's no verse in the Bible that says be healthy. Okay? Uh, but, but don't play games. Have integrity with what you're saying. Don't say you care about God's, God's will and that you want God's will for your life and then be afraid to look at God's will printed for you here. Say, you know what? I, got, I want God's will so much that I'm willing to be rebuked. That I'm willing to have the thing that I want to do taken away from me and declared, if I do this, I am unfaithful. That's who we are as Christians. Right? We're not like the world who just goes with the flow. Um, great reward. Right? Like David says in Psalm 19, um, there's great, great reward in looking at the law of God and being rebuked by it. Declare to me, God, my hidden faults, the motives in me that are causing me to want to do this. And show me your way from following your way. There's great reward, the Lord says to us. So even when the Lord rebukes, even when God's word rebukes us, says your values, behavior, and beliefs are wrong. Don't hate God's word. So that's verse 8 and 18. They're almost comical here. <laughs> the king of Israel, verse 8, answered Jehoshaphat, uh, there is still one through whom I, we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because <laughs> he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He's Micaiah, the son of Imla. Don't go to your friends who say, oh, that sounds great when God's word is saying something else. Don't gather your own 400 prophets who will tell you, hey, here's what the world says. Here's what everyone will agree with. Go, go to somebody or go to this book and, and find out what's what's being said here. Look at verse eight, 18 as well. Um, you see that the disgust, the hatred for God's word that Ahab has. Remember, Ahab is, is said to be um, verse 25 of 21, 11, 25. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel's wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel and so here's what he does in verse 18 of chapter 22 the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me but only bad <laughs> and therefore because of that I'm going to discard him um, so don't hate God's word even when it rebukes you and then B don't get mad at it uh, for that leads to disaster so 
So Jehosh, or so Ahab is mad. Didn't I tell you he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? Uh, but look, look at verse 23. Here's the consequence of not listening to Micaiah. Prophets always speak, even when they speak condemnation, they're, they're giving warnings so that God's people can heal the warn, heed the warnings and walk in blessing instead. But if you don't heed the warnings from the truth of God's word, then here's what you can expect. Verse 23, Micaiah says, So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Disaster comes when we don't walk in God's ways, when we don't follow, when we don't follow his word. Or look at verse 35. All day long the battle raged and the king uh, was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot and that evening he died. You know, it might feel good to, to, put, to put the one who says disaster is going to come against you because you've walked in evil ways. It might feel good to put him in prison. Say, oh, I'm not going to listen to that thought or to that guy who's declaring God's word or to pay attention to the, these verses in scripture might feel good to put that aside so that you can do what you want. But here's the warning. It, it ends up in disaster and death for Ahab and some version of that for us as we walk as we walk as Ahab walked. Now, number two, number two. So we don't hate the truth of God's word. We don't shun it. We don't put it behind us. We don't um, ignore it when it declares rebuke on us. Uh, but number two, love God's word. Another duh point there for you. Uh, love God's word. Um, Psalm 119, 97. Uh, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. And so we can see the benefits of loving God's word in these verses 17, 19 to 20 and 23. God is warning uh, Ahab. Um He's not hiding what's going to happen so that Ahab will just walk into it. He's saying, if you walk into this, this is uh, uh, implicit condition. If you walk into this, if you go and fight against Ramoth Gilead, you will die. And that comes true. So this is God's, this, this book, you know, these truths are God loving us even when he rebukes us. Um, so uh, A there, Know that God's word, the Lord's word, declares and describes what's true. Um, so verse verse 28 in this passage, uh, Micaiah declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, mark my words, all you people. After this happens, come back to me and I'll tell you I told you so. <laughs> it's true. Micaiah is saying, what I am saying is true because it's from the Lord. I don't need to see the results. I can be in prison. I know it's going to happen. As long as Ahab goes out and fights Ramoth Gilead, he's going to die. As long as he doesn't heed God's word, he's going to die. So we know God's word, word is true. Uh, Jesus, in his uh, high, what we call his high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, says to, the, says to his father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. It's our ultimate standard of what's true and what's false. B, love God's word because it saves you in life from heartache and foolishness. It saves you from heartache and foolishness. Um, so 
you know, our, our pre-scripture reading um, uh, to today. Let me find. Let me find it here. Where's my bulletin? Well, the very the very end of that. These are not mere idle words for you. I love this. These are not mere. Look at that. These are not idle words for you. These are your life. This is it. Hey, you want to live? And there's a little tag on there that I, that I cut off from the verse. And by it, you will live long in the land that God is giving to you. That's the end of the verse that I didn't put on there. Because God's people are about to cross into the promised land. You want life? You want long life in the promised land with blessing? Then heed these words I'm giving to you today. This law contained in the book of Deuteronomy. Heed these words. This is your life. It's this clear. It's this clear. You heed these words, you have life and blessing. You don't heed these words, you have death and you'll be scattered, exiled. So God's word saves you in life from heartache and foolishness, all kinds of things. And this is what's celebrated in Psalm 19, which Jim read for us this morning. God's word give, gives us life, makes us wiser than our teachers. And we celebrate, we celebrate God's word because of all the wisdom it gives to us. Uh, Solomon in the book of Proverbs just equates knowing God's law with being wise. He who knows God's law and walks in it, he's the wise one. But the one who doesn't know God's law or the one who knows God's law and doesn't walk in it, he's the fool. Okay? And so we don't, we don't want to walk in, in foolishness. All kinds of good things that God gives to us in his, in his word. He tells us things. Don't have three wives. Don't lust after women. Uh, don't 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 look in, in a in a way inappropriate that way at, at someone who's not your wife, whether you're married now or not yet married. That's good for us. That's blessing for us. Don't hate people in your heart. That's bad for you. Don't allow any bitter root in you to grow up and blossom so that you become a, a bitter person or or hateful, that's bad for you. All kinds of things in God's word that we find that are true, that when we walk in, we're blessed. When we forgive, we're released from anxiety. When we hold a grudge, we're not. We're imprisoned. Uh, and so God's word saves us from heartache and foolishness in life. It leads us in how to live. Uh, and then B, uh, or, or C, sorry, C, um, it saves you in death from eternal punishment. Um, that, of course, for Ahab, this is literal, um, right there, physical death for him. But for us, for eternal punishment, uh, John 5.24 says, you know, he, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and he will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Um, so Jesus and his word for us, this is the difference in his word of the gospel means for us eternal life instead of uh, condemnation for us and eternal punishment, as Jesus declares in Matthew 25, 46. So don't hate God's truth. Don't avoid it, but love it. Come to it. Realize this is the source of me acting and believing in a way that brings me blessing and goodness in my life. Now, number three, number three. Don't abuse, I like this point a lot, don't abuse 
uh, but reward, appreciate, and listen to. Don't abuse, but reward and appreciate, uh, reward, appreciate, and listen to those who exhort me to follow the directives of the Bible. Um, so as far as I or a pastor or an elder or a Christian friend or a mom or a dad or a brother or sister exhorts you in the things of the Bible, appreciate them. Listen to them. Don't send them to prison. Don't slap them across the face like Zechariah does here to Micaiah. This is really a... a, a scale model of what's going on with the people of God who are reading first and second Kings. This is how they had spent the last two, three centuries of their lives in the promised land, slapping across the face, the prophets who brought them reminders of the law of God given to them by Moses. And so the prophets are not treated well. Jesus refers to this. And right after the Beatitudes, he says, Hey, if you're persecuted for your faith, rejoice. You're just like the prophets who came before you. They were persecuted by God's own people. They were persecuted as well. Jeremiah's in a pit. Jeremiah's a fearing for his life and has to be rescued and appealed to the king to, to take him out of the pit so he won't die uh, in there. Other prophets are killed. They're not received well because the prophets are coming to the kings with words of, of rebuke. And the Israelites in Babylon, in exile, reading 1 Kings 22 here said, yep, that was us. We treated the true prophets of the Lord, of Yahweh, like Ahab did. We put them in prison. We put them in the stocks. We threw them in pits. Um, we favored the ones who said peace, peace when there was no peace. We treated them like Zechariah did here. We slapped them across the face. That's why we're in exile. And so this is a message for God's people in exile in Babylon who had Ezekiel among them for one, declaring them, declaring to them God's word, treat Ezekiel well. Treat prophets of me well and things will go well for you. Listen to these prophets that come from me that say, yes, sometimes unpleasant words for you to hear because it makes you have to change what you believe or what you practice according to God's word. But listen to them or else you'll wind up in Ramoth Gilead with a chariot full of blood that's your own soaking your feet. So don't abuse, but reward, appreciate, and listen to those who exhort you to follow the directives of the Bible. Um, you know, all things speak of Jesus, as Jesus says in Luke 24. Does that scene strike any, you know, is that a familiar scene to you? Someone declares what's true before a king gets slapped across the face. Yeah, uh, it's gray. It has a fluffy tail. It sounds like Jesus, right? Um yeah. Uh, so we have Matthew 26. Uh, Jesus is before his own people, the ruling council, and he's slapped across the face by the priests because they've said, are, are you the son of God? And he says, I am. And you shall see the son of God coming in the clouds of the air, meaning I 
will judge you. And he gets slapped across the face for declaring what's true. He is the judge. All in, all in judgment has been entrusted to him, John 5, 24. He's declaring what's true. And what's he get for it? Slapped across the face. Um, this, this happens too with the soldiers. They slap him across the face as well. And so we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be like the people in this passage to slap God's truth tellers uh, across the face or imprison them or be like those who did the same uh, did, the, did the same to Jesus. Um, recognize with those who declare something to you from God's word that makes you have to change course or change belief according to God's word. A, they are the ones who are helping you. Ahab doesn't see that. He thinks the ones helping him are the 400 prophets who make him feel good. But the only one in that room helping him with kind of Jehoshaphat, who's saying you should ask the right people, the only one helping him there, the only one who cares about him there is Micaiah. Micaiah is the only one telling him the truth that will get him from dying in Ramoth Gilead. So treat those who are Yes, sometimes even rebuking you. Um, treat them well. Recognize they're helping you. When someone gives you something from God's word that makes you change course, say to them, thank you. Even though it's hard, even though it's making you change course right now, even though you were hoping to do something and now you realize you can't do that anymore. Say to that person who brought you God's word, thank you. You've just rescued me from something that would have brought me disaster. I don't know what kind of disaster. I don't know how that would have spilled out. But I understand now that would have been sin for me to do this. And you've just helped me. You've saved me from my foolishness. You've saved me from following my sin nature. And you've led me in God's ways. That's how Micah should be treated in this passage. Micah should be exalted as the hero and should be another scene kind of like Elijah at Mount Carmel, right? <laughs> Slaughter these 400 prophets of Baal and exalt Micaiah. Make him the one who's at the right ear, ear of the king like Gad or Nathan was next to David giving true words. See how David responds? You know, Nathan comes and says, you're the man who's committed adultery with Bathsheba. And you need to repent. And David doesn't put David doesn't put the prophet in prison. David just repents, and he re he realizes this is what's been causing the problem, me, because of my sin. And so we want to respond in, in like way. Psalm one in nineteen eleven, I referred to it before. In keeping God's commands, there is great reward. Psalm nineteen eleven. In keeping your commands, there is great reward. Um, and then B, um, how do, how do those who come to you with God's word and the truth of God's word, how are they helping you? Well, B through warnings, warnings. And so we see warnings given to Ahab through Micaiah, the prophet in 1723 and 28, Israel will be scattered and without its king. It's a little bit veiled. Why are they without its king? Well, it's because the king is dead. If you guess that, you're right. Because you read in verse 23, the Lord has decreed disaster for Ahab. And then to be real obvious, verse 28, you will not return safely. <laughs> if you return safely, the Lord has not spoken to me, but that the Lord himself has decreed disaster 
for you, um, that you will die. Um, so prophets, those who bring you God's word, are giving you warnings. Um, Psalm 1911, again, by God's commands, your servant is warned. We read the Bible to be warned of things we might do or things we're headed to do already. And then C, um, treat well those who are bringing you God's word because they, they help you through instructions. Um, we see in verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 19 uh, that God's commands make you wise. They give you light to walk and live by so you're not stumbling in life, stubbing your toe, uh, skinning your knee, that kind of thing. Um, now, number four, number four, um, in contrast to uh, appreciating those who bring you God's word, even if it rebukes you, um, be suspicious, uh, be suspicious of those who say that everything about you is okay. <laughs> Count them among the 400. Um, that is everything about you is okay, according to God. And it, I'm not saying that if someone comes and encourages you and says, no, no, no. And you're, you know, like a, a, a super sensitive person who's always thinking, oh, I didn't do this right. Or I didn't have the right tone of voice when I talked to this person. And someone says, no, you were great. I heard you. You were fine. And that kind of thing. That's OK. Encour normal encouragement is OK. But, but when someone's just telling you everything you're doing is OK, no need of repentance in any way whatsoever. Be suspicious. Be very suspicious. Um, uh, these prophets are on the king's payroll, uh, and uh, maybe the person you're talking to just wants your favor. We all want people to like us, so we say, oh, you're great. You look fine. You don't look fat. Right? We say, you know, these things because we want people to like us. And so just just consider this. You know, we, we're, we're people that, uh, um, well... Uh, we don't want to just be told victory, success. That's the prophets of Baal. That's the 400 prophets. Go, you'll have victory. Go, you'll have success. One takes that, that probably like a Viking helmet, right? It's a helmet that has horns on it. And he says, this is what you'll do to the Aramans. And he, he rams through with his, his Viking helmet there. Uh, they say, as it says in verse 13, the prophet who gathers Micaiah, now only say something that's favorable. Joint, we're only saying things that are favorable to the king. So say something favorable to the king with us. Um, be suspicious. Um, A, um, while God's word encourages you, while God's word encourages you in what you're believing correctly, while God's word encourages you in the ways you become more like Jesus, and feel free to see that in Scripture when you see, you know, that Jesus does something that's very difficult and say, you know what? When I did this two days ago, it was kind of like Jesus there. Be encouraged by that. You're becoming more like Christ. Scripture is a source of encouragement for us. And so when you've done something that's faithful, especially in the, in the face of it being difficult, be encouraged by that. Be lifted up. Be bolstered by that. Okay, so uh, as, uh, as you believe correctly and the ways you're becoming more like Jesus, it also works to rebuke and correct you. And that's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, just describing God's word. Uh, the you know, word of God is God breathe and, and it rebukes us, it corrects us. 
It instructs us and it trains us in righteousness, but it rebukes and correct, corrects. We should expect when we look at scripture to be rebuked and corrected, not and not in a, a disdainful rebuke from the Lord, but a loving rebuke. You know, like Chris Rock says, I wouldn't do that if I were you. <laughs> um, that, that this is the Lord saying this to us and saying, you know, John, you're doing this and you need to you need to stop that. Um, sometimes we just need to hear it that starkly. And sometimes the, the word of God says it to us that, that starkly. And so expect that kind of thing from the word, not just all encouragement, but encouragement mixed with correction and rebuke as we're looking to the word of God and looking at people who are teaching us. Because B, God rebukes those he loves through his word. Um, Jesus says in Revelation uh, three nineteen, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. repent. God says, those whom I love, I rebuke. Um, so expect that. See, uh, there's a sense in which when a Bible teacher tells you you're all okay and that there's no improvement needed, they're saying that you've, you're already completely like Jesus in whose image God is conforming you and each Christian. So there's a sense in which if a Bible teacher tells you you know, like those of you who are older will appreciate this. I'm okay, you're okay. It's the number one New York Times bestseller in the 70s. I'm okay, you're okay. If a Bible teacher is telling you this, um, not only be suspicious, but there's a sense which theologically he's telling you no improvement needed. You're already, I know you're supposed to be conformed like Jesus and I've got no bad things to say. You're just exactly like Jesus. And that brings us to point D. You're not. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not okay, and you're not okay in that sense. There are always ways that God is making us more like Jesus, and that's, that's an element of his kindness, an element of his kindness. He's made us like Jesus in, in many ways in the past, and he continues to make us more like Jesus because he doesn't uh, want us to walk in foolishness anymore and to walk in more and more like Jesus would walk. And so John declares that here's what's true of all Christians. First John 1 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So always understand that you, you'll, you'll have sin in your life. And, and that's just if you say you don't have sin, the truth is not in you. If a Bible teacher says you don't have sin, there's no improvement needed. The truth is not in him or her. Um, Verse 9 of 1 John 1, if we confess our sins. So that's what a Christian does. We confess because we're people, who, we're people who sin. And so as people who sin, we come to God's word to get perfected. Not that we'll ever be there prior to seeing Jesus face to face, but we become more mature, more like Christ as we come to scripture and are guided by it. Now, number five. So follow, follow the teaching of the good shepherd. Follow the teaching of the good shepherd. Um, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd in John 10, 11. Uh, Jim read that for us this morning. Uh, Matthew 9, 35, Jesus looked out and he had compassion on the crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And we can see that in this passage. It's Micaiah's first real prophecy. He says, I looked on the hills. And it's all Israel, and they were all scattered like sheep without a shepherd. 
Okay, God's people without a king, sheep without a shepherd, because the king has been killed. Okay, so Jesus is compassionate and and gives us and is himself a good shepherd, not a bad shepherd like Ahab, but a good shepherd. Uh, and A, you need a shepherd. Otherwise, you'll be scattered and without clear direction in life and in death. You need a shepherd. Otherwise, you'll be scattered and without clear direction in life and in death. The description in Matthew 9, 36 that Jim read for us is that the people without Jesus' teaching were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So if you don't have a shepherd, you're harassed and helpless. Where do I go? You know, and that's what sheep are. Sheep need to be led. Otherwise, they're just all wandering all over, right? Like herding cats, so to speak. Um, B, by having Jesus, by having Jesus as your king and shepherd, you won't be scattered and weary, but you'll have rest. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, the last verse Jim read for us, that as we come to him, Jesus invites us to come to him, that he will give us rest. It's not restful when you don't know what to do. It's not restful when you have a decision to make and you really don't have an idea about what you should do. That's a thing of anxiety. And when we have anxiety, we're not at rest. From our inner being, we're not at rest. But if we have Jesus as our shepherd and he's giving us his, his directives for life and for death, then we have confidence. And it's not that we'll know what to make for dinner tonight. Uh, not that specific. But in life, should I, should I do the easy thing for those who are around me, the, the crappy food that two of them don't like? Or should I do the, the good food um, that'll take me longer? Uh, a little longer to make, and I've got the time to do it. Um, and that'll be better for them. Better food, better nutrition for them. Right, Crystal? Good stuff. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so we, we know an answer to that because we're to love our neighbors ourselves. Okay, and so we, we make this, you know, we make bean soup for our husband. Right, Julie? Um, Instead of, you know, Frito pie or whatever they give you at Chili's now. That's Frito desserts or Frito uh, entrees. Uh, but with Jesus as our king, we're directed. We're, we're, we're told, no, treat, but whatever you're doing, do it with love and care for the people around you. Whatever you're doing, do in a way that, do, do things and say things in a way that you think Jesus would say them according to what you're reading in here. That's direction in life. How should I treat this person who's abused me? I should treat them with with forgiveness. Uh, And if a mob wants to kill that person for me, I say, like David says to the people who want to kill Saul, no, let him be. That's direction. And I can be confident in that direction because I'm directed by Scripture itself. So I don't have anxiety about that. David didn't have to say, man, I should have killed Saul while I had the chance. He never says that. He knows it's wrong to take the life of God's anointed one, Saul. Um, so that does it. That's, that uh, gives us direction in life. It removes anxiety. It gives us rest, rest of mind, rest of heart. Uh, and then see, apart, apart from Jesus being your shepherd, you have no one above protecting you. You have no one above protecting you 
and there are forces in the world that you know if you've lived any amount of time or even if you're a little four-year-old boy in the playground, you have forces in the world that are stronger than you and will harm you. Okay, those of you who have been in the military, you know this as well. There are forces out there that are stronger than us and can harm us. And so, but, but you know, sometimes people say, oh, it'll all work out. If Jesus isn't your king, sitting on the throne next to God the Father in heaven above, working out all things, the end of Ephesians 1, working out all things above all power and dominion and all that kind of thing, working out all things for the church, you have no assurance of that. But if your shepherd king is seated at God's right hand, which Jesus is, and he's your shepherd king, then you have that assurance that there is from heaven above protection upon you, which a non-believer does not have. Because Jesus is not his king. You know, if you're in a feudal system and you're living on the king's land and you're in his kingdom, if a conquering army comes in, your king has promised to protect you. And he sends out his troops and it'll protect you and your land. Um, D, Jesus loves all his sheep, protects them against wolves or things that harm, that harm who you are. This is what Jesus says when he talks about himself as the good shepherd in John 10, 11 through 13. He says that the one who's hired to take care of the sheep, when someone comes along, a wolf, to harm you, <laughs> The hireling, the one who's just been hired, who's not the true shepherd of the sheep, he runs. He doesn't want to get eaten by a wolf or bit bitten by a wolf. So he runs and he lets the sheep get chewed up and killed. But he says, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. I will get chewed up by the wolf. So the wolf is eating me so you can run and be safe. And that's what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Um, so Jesus is this good shepherd who protects us against things who harm who you are. And he shepherds you both by, number one, by his sovereign protection of you through arranging your circumstances from heaven above. That's what I've just talked about. This is why all things work out together for the good for those who have been called by him according to his purpose. All he calls to himself to be part of his kingdom, who are part of his kingdom, who provides protection for them from heaven by sovereignly arranging your circumstances. So no temptation comes to you that's stronger than what you can bear. So that you, you uh, uh, um, uh, all things are under his uh, caring protection of you in your life. And then number two, how does he protect you? How does he shepherd you? By his teaching, which warns and directs you in life. I want you to look at our declaration of the gospel. I intentionally do something in our declaration of the gospel um, often, and this is one of those. This is one of those times. Um, you know, we think the gospel is just Jesus. For, I, my sins are forgiven if I believe in Jesus. That's part of the gospel. That's good news. Gospel means good news that our sins are forgiven if we believe in Jesus. But here's good news: Jesus doesn't li leave us to be fools and to live foolishly and to destroy our own lives and the lives of others. Part of Jesus' compassion, part of the good news is we have a shepherd who guides and directs us, not toward wolves, not toward lions, not toward bears, who guides and directs us away from predators, who guides and direct, directs us toward um, pastures that are not full of thorns that, that, that scrape our noses as we eat the grass. 
Look there in the declaration of the gospel, Mark 6:34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. This is our shepherd. He has compassion. Now we keep going because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so what's he do? Out of his compassion, what's he do? So he began teaching them many things. The good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus has died for our sins and that we have eternal life, and that's good news. The good news of the gospel is that he has enough compassion on us to teach us because we're hapless and helpless like sheep without a shepherd apart from him. And so what's his compassion look like? It looks like this. He teaches us many things. This is his shepherding of our lives. So summary, summary. Bunch of things real quick for us here. Love God's word. Love God's word. Come to it. Don't avoid it. Come to it. When you come to it, next thing, be taught by it. Be taught by it. Be receptive to it. Be taught by it. Allow yourself to be taught. Don't say, oh, I know. Never say of Scripture, I knew that already. That's like a a five-year-old kid saying, I know. (laughs) Don't be taught by it. The wise person listens and learns. And so come to God's Word. Love God's Word. Come to it. Be taught by it. Then next, accept its rebuke and correction. Accept it. The wise person sees, this is my God who loves me. And those whom the the Lord loves, he reproves, he rebukes and disciplines. So receive that loving rebuke of the Lord because he's saying, John, don't do that. Idiots do that. Okay, so receive that. Don't say, are you calling me an idiot? (laughs) Say, Say, thank you. I am an idiot and I almost did an idiotic thing and you've shown mercy on me once again. Thank you. So receive the rebuke. Admit that you don't know everything. Admit that this book is full of stuff that you'll never completely all get down to live your life by and that God is so compassionate with you that he'll continue to teach you things all through your life to the day you die so that you're more like him and and experiencing his compassion and his blessing on your life. And then um, lastly, be grateful. Be grateful for God's word and for people who rebuke and correct you through it. They're the ones like Micaiah who are there to help you. Let's pray.